This is tape number 20 of Dr. Joel Hunter's series, Faith from Heaven to Earth. The subject of his message is faith in teenagers. And from the New American Standard, Dr. Hunter's text is found in Matthew chapter 14, verses 3 through 10, and 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. And it reads as follows. For when Herod had John arrested, he bound him and put him in prison on account of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip. For John had been saying to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. And although he wanted to put him to death, he feared the multitude because they regarded him as a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod. Thereupon he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. And having been prompted by her mother, she said, Give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. And although he was grieved, the king commanded it to be given because of his oaths and because of his dinner guests. And he sent and had John beheaded in the prison. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. And now, let's join in for praise and worship, followed by Dr. Joel Hunter's message, Faith and Teenagers, message number 20 of the series, Faith from Heaven to Earth. Lord, thanks for bringing us here this morning. Thanks for the faithfulness of your people. Thanks for the privilege of being able to worship together as a family this morning. And we ask you to give us your Holy Spirit. We ask you, Lord, to, to uh, help us worship you in a way that glorifies you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Well, you know, we're, we're preaching about how God builds faith in relationships, uh, out of relationships, really, and we've been talking about parenting. But we're talking about more than parenting. Obviously, these uh, sermons apply whether or not you uh, have children or ever intend to have them. However, this week, uh, we're up to uh, the teenage uh, um, age. I hope that uh, none of you came desperate for this sermon because <clears throat> it won't be enough for you. Um, but I, and there's so much that we could that we could say about teenagers, uh, but I just uh, God has narrowed us down to just a, a a certain venue, and I want to do that this morning. Now we thought it'd be fun because uh, teenagers is kind of the age where you really are starting to take them real seriously, uh, what God's going to do with you in the future, uh, to kind of interview some of our youth group here and and uh, you know do the old uh, what do you want to be when you grow up question. Uh, I want you to hear what they say, but I want you to also listen for what they are not saying. Listen for what this question does not include. Okay, watch. Hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? I would like to be a physical therapist. I would like to be a neonatologist. Okay, I want to either be an actress. And if I can't be an actress, then I'll be an interior designer. I want to be a police officer. I want to be a teacher. That's exactly right. Hey, I want to be a roofer! Woo! I want to be um, something that involves art or fashion design or something. I hope to graduate and uh, get a degree in some kind of communications and help people become closer to Christ. I want to be a dentist. I want to be a mom. I want to be in the business field and have a cool truck. I want to play baseball. 
an oceanographer or a marine biologist. I want to be a missionary. I want to be a jet fighter pilot. I'd like to be a judge. I want to be an elementary education teacher. An oral presentation on the material with footnotes and visual aids due by the end of the week. I want to be a writer. I want to be a skateboarder. I want to be a scientist. I want to be a scientist and a basketball player. I have no idea. I want to be a herpetologist. I want to be a marine biologist. I want to be Vernon. Being the leader of the worship team can be really tough sometimes. You're the leader of the worship team. I am too. I am not. I am too. I want to be a basketball coach and work with children. I want to be an uh, emergency room doctor. I want to be a missionary and I want to work with children. All I've ever really wanted to be is a housewife and a mom. Okay, what you hear uh, mostly are professions uh, that, can, uh, that have some standards for the measure of accomplishment. Except for the housewife and mom, I'm so glad that still makes the list sometimes. Yeah, I'm so glad. But here's what you didn't hear. What you didn't hear is a realization of how much power they have right now. Because every time you start thinking about what God wants you to do in the future, sometimes you skip over just exactly how much he has you doing in the present. Every time you start uh, um, dreaming of, so, of, of what you can, you, you can accomplish in the future, you, you forget the tremendous power that teenagers have in the present. They, they are not aware of the tremendous power. As a matter of fact, one of the most frightening things about raising teenagers is that they are unaware of the tremendous power they exercise right now and unaware of the consequences of that power. By the way, that's one of the scariest things also of relating to adults. They don't understand the power they have. The other thing that you did not hear is this concept. Not only what do I want to be, but by whom do I want to be used? For what do I want to be used? Now, I want to talk to you today about uh, two teenage girls. I know I have boys, and you've you got to be so tired about hearing about boys. So I, I'm going to give you, those of you with girls uh, a break today. And I'm going to talk about two teenage girls. Two teenage girls that had the tremendous power to please. Two teenage girls that used their bodies in a way that exemplified just what kind of power they had. Now first... Let us turn to Mark chapter 6. If you have your scriptures with you, this is the, the, the same uh, uh, scene in Matthew, only it's got a few more details in Mark's, Mark, so I want to I read out of Mark 6 instead of Matthew 14. Let me give you the setting. Herod is hearing about Jesus of Nazareth. Now, Herod had a very messed up family, dysfunctional, we would call it these days. And Herod is a frightened man, because as he hears about Jesus, what comes back to him is his guilt complex for having John the Baptist put to death. And he believes that Jesus is John the Baptist come back. Back in this day, they believed in the transmigration of souls. 
It's a, it's a, it's also a Hindu concept. Transmigration of souls. That is, he believed that Jesus was someone who John's personality and soul had gone to and had come back to haunt him. And so John, or Herod begins to remember the event and the circumstances through which he had John the Baptist put to death. And we'll pick up that story in uh, verse 17. Herod himself sent and had John arrested, bound in prison on account of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Now this, this is just a tip of the iceberg of how messed up this family is. Herodias is, there, there were four brothers. Herodias is one brother's daughter who marries her uncle, Philip, doesn't like that uncle, and so she leaves that uncle to marry her other uncle, Herod. And by this union, they have a daughter, Salome. Now, at this point, I'm sorry, by a previous union, they have a daughter, uh, Salome. Now, uh, this is John the Baptist's problem. He's a prophet. You know how prophets are. They just get in your face. And they keep saying what's right. And they make people mad. And that's exactly what happened. He, just, he, not, he didn't just say, you shouldn't do this. He kept saying, you shouldn't do this. And Herodias was fit to be tied and wanted really to finish him off. Let, read, read on with me. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death and could not do so, for Herod was afraid of John. Knowing that he was a righteous and holy man and kept him safe, and when he heard him, he was very perplexed, but he used to enjoy listening to him. You know, one of the, one of the characteristics of evil is they kind of enjoy hearing good. They, they, they're kind of protective, or they'll stand up every once in a while for holiness. And you can't figure out, they would say, what's the deal here? It's because they're fascinated with holiness. They, 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 they can't reach out and grab it, or they won't reach out and grab it, but they love to listen to it. And love to maybe dream about being holy someday. And that's what Herod was. He, he was ambivalent. He kept going back and forth. He used to love to listen to John the Baptist. And a strategic day came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his lords and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. Now this is an all-male party. You understand this? Many parties back here, back in this time, are all male. And they decide to have dancing girls, which is very the usual thing for an all-male party. Now, when they have dancing girls, I want to just, you know, in case there are people who have been Christians since the time they were, you know, one year old here, um, and never had privy to this kind of information, the kind of dancing they do is not line dancing. <laughs> it's not square dancing. It's not the minuet. It's not any of those kinds. It's very lewd, suggestive dancing. And so everybody's drinking. Everybody's getting ready for the dancers. But they have a special treat today because not just a professional dancer comes in, but the princess herself comes in. And it says, And when the daughter of Herodias herself came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests, and the king said to the girl, now the Greek word here for girl is, is uh, karasio, and it, and, it, and it means, it designates in Greek a girl any, anywhere from the age of 12 to 18. So that's where we understand that the fact that this girl is a teenager. And he said to the girl, 
Ask me for whatever you want and I will give it to you. And he swore to her, whatever you ask of me, I will give it to you up to half my kingdom. You get the picture of what's happening here? The hormones are going and he can't shut up. He doesn't just say, oh boy, that was good. What do you want for that? He just kept saying, anything you want. Anything you want. See? He's revved up. Now look at what happens. And she went out and asked her mother, what shall I ask for? And her mother said, she said, the head of John the Baptist. And immediately she came in haste before the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me right away the head of John the Baptist on a platter. That last part was her own. On a platter. Shows you that she was a little bit like her mom. A little bit ruthless. And although the king was very sorry, yet because of his oaths, because of his dinner guests, he was unwilling to refuse her. Just a footnote here. Anytime you're a pagan and pride quarrels with conscience, conscience will lose. Now let's talk about this teenage girl realizing the power of her body. Realizing the ability she had to manipulate the circumstance. Now, she came from a family, again, that we would call dysfunctional today. I mean, she had no guiding purpose there. Except she had a model in both her mother and her father of how to work with lust. And how to work people and how to get what she wanted. And what she had learned by this stage of the game is that you can work people given your strength... And somebody wins, and somebody loses, and you always try to be the winner. But she had also come to the place where she had not fully identified the satisfaction of what she wanted with her own wishes. In other words, Erickson says at this stage, the main role for teenagers is ego identity versus role confusion. And what he says, in essence, you, you have teenagers, if you, if, you, if you have teenagers, you know this, that... that if you don't build a firm concept of what you're here for as an individual, you will always try to accomplish things, but always to please other people. The payoff is always to ask other people for approval by accomplishing things for them. Now, you can do this with raw seduction. You can also do it by whatever other power you have found that works. You can whine and, and engender pity. You can accomplish through brains and strategy and, 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 and you know, getting, uh, making all the standards of the world. You can, you can accomplish things through power and intimidation. Uh, however it works, you can accomplish what you need to accomplish. But if you don't have something larger than the accomplishment that you're going for, that you understand you were built for, then what happens is you never have satisfaction. Because you're always trying to buy people's approval with it. And so you're always dissatisfied. You, no matter how much accomplishment accomplish you, you, you've done, you never feel like it's enough. It makes you absolutely miserable. When I was uh, in middle school or the beginning of high school, my family used to go to the same place in Michigan every, every year for a vacation. And there were a row of cabins on a lake. And, and uh, I was coming to the age where I really was noticing girls, really was noticing girls. 
and went to this place, and, and there's this young teenage girl there. Her name was Karina. I'll never forget her as long as I live. <clears throat> she reminds me of Salome. Because there were mm, probably a half a dozen guys my age in this camp, and one girl, and she led us all around like we had a ring in our nose. She had us all so fascinated. We would have done anything, did do anything, she asked. And she was the queen of the camp, and she knew it. Now, the reason that I will always remember her is not because she was so good at what she did, but because she was so miserable with who she was. She had this tremendous power, but she had this, this kind of dissatisfaction, this disappointment with life. She also had this driving mother who was living vicariously through her. And so her mother was very glad about her power, but neither one of them knew what to do other than accomplish. Both after they had felt the, the, the joy, the initial joy of accomplishment, the initial joy of being powerful, felt very empty and very disappointed. Now let me show you another teenage girl that's about the same age as Salome. Turn to Luke chapter 1. Verse 26. She has a dad who's not quite so messed up and a directive that's not quite so ambivalent. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee to, or called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph and the descendants of, of the descendants of David and the virgin's name was Mary. That's our second teenager of the day. And coming in, he said to her, Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this might be. Now, I want you to notice something here. We're not talking about an airheaded girl. We're not talking about, Oh, there's an angel. Oh, <gasps> She's pondering the salutation. She's thinking this over. She's going, okay, what gives? Hail, little favored one, the Lord is with you. Hmm. What does that mean? You know, She's thinking this thing through. This is a very competent girl. Now look at what else it says. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now, it's, it, she's, she is a little intimidated. You gotta tell, you know, the angel picks that up. But you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And this is the message she heard that day. Mary, God is going to use you to change the world. Through you, God is going to give something to the world that absolutely changes history. Now let me ask you this question. 
If you heard the message that God had chosen you to change the world, how would you feel? Now let me tell you this. That's exactly what he has said to every one of you who believe in Jesus Christ. Hail, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Through you, I will change the world. You see, there's a difference between a teenager who discovers she has power and a teenager who has been told that God's going to use her to change the world. And the difference is quantum. There is a difference between a life that understands that it can manipulate things and a life that has been elected to make a difference in history. And the difference is quantum. And you don't have to be a teenager before you hear that. Some of you missed that when you were teenagers and you're only now hearing it. But let me tell you something. It is very important to hear that if you're a teenager. And I'll tell you why as soon as I finish this. And Mary said, How can this be since I am a virgin? You look what she's doing. She's still thinking this through. She's intimidated. But she is not so intimidated that she won't inquire of the Lord. Now, this is different from questioning God. This is not what Zacharias does. Yeah, you know, you know well, if you're going to do that, give me proof. How will I know for sure? He, he questioned God. She inquired of the Lord. Tell me how this thing is going to happen so I can cooperate. <laughs> and, he's, and he explains that the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. Isn't it part of the goodness of God to give you a companion with which you can face a challenge? That's exactly what God did. Gave her a companion. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, be it done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. The difference here is that we have a teenage girl who chooses to let her body be used by God rather than choosing to use her body for the purposes of her mother or for the purposes of the crowd. The difference is that we have a girl whose ego identity is secure because she has heard from God what she is to do in history. And it's only that that is important enough to give us satisfaction. That's what we were built to hear. You see, many of you know an area of life in which you are competent. Many of you know there are things that you can do well. But until you dedicate your life until you dedicate those actions to changing the world for Christ you will never have a sense of satisfaction you will simply feel like somebody who can push the right buttons and get their way and there's nothing satisfying about that there's something immediately gratifying 
but not long-term satisfying. And so we have two teenagers here. One was directed by a parent, get what you can. You may need this ability or that ability, but get what you can. You'll win, somebody else will lose, but get what you can. You might as well be the winner. And we have another teenage girl that said, give what you can. There are no losers when you do what I call you to do. Give yourself to this wonderful place in history. Do you know how important it is? And this is the point of this message. For people to hear that message. Do you know how important it is for a teenager to hear that message? Do you know how inadequate a teenager feels? A teenager is just starting to learn their power. They're just starting to attract people or be able to make people mad. And they're just starting to to, to understand that they're going to have a continuing place in the world. But every one of them, almost every one of them, feels totally inadequate for what they're going to do. What if they have a voice that continues to tell them, you're going to change the world. You're going to make a difference in history. That's why God put you here. Do you think that they would take themselves any more seriously than they do right now? You see, if you don't have that understanding, you're left to your little devices. And that's all there is to life. Just see what little devices you can work. But if you begin to hear that voice of God, Hail, O favored one. The Lord is with you. You have been chosen as a vessel through which God will change the world, they begin to see a whole different picture. This is what we've done with our kids since they've been born. God put you here to change the world. Nothing less. He didn't put you here for an occupation, although we hope you have a wonderful occupation that you love and that you are thrilled to be in. But He put you here because He wants to make a difference in the world. That's what teenagers need to hear. And if... Your friends didn't hear that when they were teenagers. That's what they need to hear. And if you didn't hear it when you were a teenager, that's what you need to hear. God put you here for no less role than to change the world. Now, just a couple of practical hints for you teenage, for you parents of teenagers, if you have them, or for you friends of people who need this kind of instruction. A couple of things you need to do with them every day. First of all, you need to help them not despise their inadequacies. Because most teenagers despise their inadequacies. Turn with me to another teenager, Jeremiah. Chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. Here's a teenager who despised his inadequacy. He's remembering when God called him. Verse 4. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. Do you know what you need to teach people? That they don't have to get to a certain level in their life before they have the consecrated power of God. People really need to hear that. Especially kids. Kids have tremendous power. They don't realize the power they have. They scare you to death. That's tremendous power. 
They have a power for tremendous good. And I'm going to tell you a story in just a minute that'll, that'll tell you that. But they have this tremendous good. But what they need to hear is this voice. God's formed you in the womb. He's consecrated you. Therefore, no matter how inadequate you feel, no matter how impotent you feel, no matter how not up to the task you feel, you have the consecrated power of God. Look at what it says. Read on with me. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. Whatever role he's appointing for you, that's the consecrated power you have. And then I said, Alas, Lord, behold, I do not know how to speak because I'm but a youth. I'm only a youth. But God said to me, Don't say that. (laughs) Don't say I'm a youth. Because wherever I send you, you shall go, and all that I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them. For I am with you to declare you, declares the Lord. To deliver you, declares the Lord. In other words, what they need to say is, you know, what they need to hear is this. Don't dwell on how you feel inadequate. You have all the power right now you need to do to do the will of God where you are. That's where you get the power from. So then they start taking this whole thing seriously, see? And the other thing they need is this constant voice reassuring them, instructing them, To not drop out of the process. I know so many parents who say, well, my kids are teenagers. They're pretty well done by now. You know, maybe the teachers will teach them something. I hope they get something from the the peer group. And they'll they'll get mad enough or frustrated enough, they just drop out of the process. Boy, right now is when you need to get back into the process. Your parents need to, your kids need to hear your voice every day. Don't shut up. I used to drive my kids to school. I still, with a, with a younger one who's still at home, I, I got two rooming together at college. But man, I'd drive my, and every time I'd, we'd go someplace, I'd say, I'd, I'd know every other friend, what, where they were going, what they were doing. I'd always give them what I thought about it. And I, and I knew that half the days I was driving them to school, they were going, oh, they're just rolling their eyes and looking out the window. But I want to tell you every day, I said, I know you're getting sick of these lectures, but you're going to have to get sick of them because I'm not stopping them. And I did every day, you know, I told them my slant on stuff, what they could do, you know, told them I thought, you know, I believed in them, how great they were, and so on and so forth. Why? Because they are great. Because God did want to use them. And you know what happens when you shut up? They assume you've given up on them. That's the worst thing that can happen to a kid when he believes you've given up on them. Then they're really out there all alone. Don't stop talking. You keep talking. They can sift the wheat from the chaff. You keep talking. Because they will assume your silence means you don't want them anymore. You don't want any part of them anymore because you're just too frustrated. And you keep telling them how they can change the world. One more story and I'll quit. Vernon told me uh, a... uh, a little event that happened last week, and they had a Lug retreat. Uh, Lug is a, a middle school group, Life Under God, uh, and they are discipled by high school kids. And so they had this Lug retreat uh, in St. Augustine, uh, camped out in tents. <laughs> so glad I'm not in youth ministry. Thank you, God. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, he said when they got there, it was really kind of comical because they, you know, they're dr- driving, there's a, a, over 100 kids, you know. And... Uh, um, and so they, the ranger says to go to this one part of the park, and they go to this one part of the park. It's clear except for this one trailer. And, and Vernon's right away apprehensive. You know, here comes this horde of 100 kids, and, 
And there's this one trailer, and he goes up and meets the people, and the people are a retired couple who, listen to this, are both retired high school principals. <laughs> well, he goes up, knocks on the door, and says, let me just give you guys, you know, the ranger sent us over here, so it was only, you know, open part of the thing. And, and, you know, if you want to leave, we'll certainly understand, you know. We've got these hundred kids here. He didn't tell me he was from a church. Uh, he says, I always want to wait, <laughs> you know, to see. Uh. <laughs> so I said, you know, got the kids, and we may get a little loud. And, and, and so he started talking. They said, no, we're, we're re- retired educators, you know. We know all about kids, you know. And he could tell just by talking to them a little while. They weren't Christians. They had dedicated their whole life to educating young people. And they looked like they were really in command here, you know, and that they could probably give some advice uh, if needed, you know. Well, the weekend went on. Of course, the kids were just great. The kids, I just, our kids are absolutely fantastic. And, uh, but they started goofing off one night, the boys, of course. <laughs> started goofing off, you know, and started doing a boy thing, you know, started singing, girls stink, you know, and, and you know, glad I'm not a girl, girls are lousy, you know, and so on and so forth. Well, the girls, very maturely, go to the boys and say, don't start yelling at them, you know. Don't start saying boys stink. Don't start, you know. They go, to, they go to the kids and they say, you know what? That's not the message you want to send. You know, you're high school boys. You're discipling middle school boys. Uh, that's, not the, you know, that's not the message of the gospel. That's not what you want them to hear. I know you guys, but you don't want to send that. Well, the boys were convicted, you know. They said, you're right. Yeah, that's a, yeah, you know, okay. You know, they go apologize to the girls, tell the boys, you know, that's not what we want to do, and so on and so forth. The whole time, this retired couple's looking out of their trailer. <laughs> Later, they came out to talk to Vernon. What just happened? Well, Vernon says, well, we're a, the boy, you know, boys, you no, know, we knew, we saw that part. Why did that happen? Vernon says, well, we're Christians. And, you know, the Bible says if you have a problem with your brother, you go to your brother and explain it. And then when they see what they've done wrong, they repent. And so, and so that's just what happened. They said, no. <laughs> we really want to know because in all of our years, and then they started telling the story why they had retired. They were so sick of the failure of the public school system to, to moderate the degenerated behavior of the kids, that they were escaping. They had retired, sold everything. They were traveling the country for the rest of their life. In other words, they were running from their own failure because they had never seen anything that would work. But now, for the first time, they did. And they wanted to know why. And so Vernon could tell them about Christ and the difference he makes. And so here we have a group of high school and middle school kids changing the lives of professional educators who had been in the school business for 30 years. Don't ever despise what you perceive to be your inadequacies. They are powerful in the hands of God. Pray with me. God, thank you for allowing us 
to use our bodies according to your call. Thank you that you have chosen us. Thank you that you have given us the privilege of being able to be used to change the world. God, nothing less than that will ever satisfy us. That's what you made us for. Help us to continue to communicate to the teenagers that we have that they were put here to be called by you to change the world. Help us to communicate that to each other because we continue to forget it and go on with our little dissatisfying manipulations every day. And God, one more thing. Please, please, please don't let us give up. Don't let us get silent. Don't let us abdicate responsibility when it comes to calling each other to the greatness of your kingdom. You didn't give up on us. Help us not to give up on each other. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.